Welcome to Behind the Standards with United Rentals. This is our inaugural podcast where we have an open discussion about topics centered around construction safety, specifically trench and confined space safety, but also other topics that relate to safety on the job. I am Rick Plosinski, Customer Training Specialist for the eastern part of the Great Lakes region of the country, as well as portions of the South, Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas, and Kentucky. The two panelists with me are also training specialists from the West Coast, Eric Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Eric Partenheimer. I am a customer training specialist on the uh, northern part of California, uh, also handling into Nevada and Salt Lake City. Jason, go ahead. Give ourselves a little bit about you. Jason Jameson, also a customer training specialist out of the Southwest District, covering all of Southern California, Nevada, and Phoenix, Arizona. I come with uh, 10 years experience as fire rescue and three years with United Rentals Trench Safety. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Now, the point of all of this is to inform, educate, and quite possibly even entertain a little bit. We are not going to talk about death all the time. We could talk about death to death. That is not our purpose. While we are going to talk about things that could cause injury and or death, and the causes of those events, we would prefer to discuss topics that will help you avoid those unfortunate circumstances. Our first topic this week is centered around the competent person. What is the definition of a competent person? And beyond that, what are his or her responsibilities? Now, the definition of a competent person excuse me, means one who is capable of identifying existing and predictable hazards in the workplace or surroundings which are unsanitary, hazardous, or dangerous to employees and who has the authorization to take prompt corrective measures to eliminate them. And Eric, you see the term competent person not just in trench and excavation standards and confined space standards. You see them all over the construction standards, don't you? Yeah, that's true, Rick. We see it in a lot of different phases of uh, construction. You'll see for scaffolding, you'll see it for fall protection. Uh, it's actually even defined now in the confined space and construction standard. So we do see it throughout the industry and it's a term that gets used a lot, but I don't think it's really been clearly defined as to what that role is. So first part of that definition is one who is capable of identifying existing and predictable hazards. If you were trying to put a little bit of perspective in that, what are we really talking about there? Yeah, identifying things that are not right with the standard or things that are unsanitary, hazardous, and dangerous to employees. I think it's just, you know, most of it is common sense things. Things that don't look correct, being able to identify that, uh, not just slipping it under the rug, not just saying, well, this is okay, but actually looking and understanding what that standard or that subject that you're dealing with is, what needs to be done, what hasn't been done, and then being able to protect employees and correct that. What kind of questions do you get in classes centered around hazard identification? Because really, in the end, while we do a, we do a, you know, well, we like to think we do a great job in training this in, in a classroom setting, what are some of the ways that you use to kind of get across, okay, hazard awareness? What kind of methods do you use? Uh, understanding the standard, I think that's the biggest thing. I think a lot of people, when we're talking about excavation, is you know they understand it five foot or deeper, they're supposed to have a protective system. They understand it four foot, you need to have a ladder. But now, based off of that five foot rule, just because it's less than five doesn't mean it can't be a dangerous situation. So it's looking at these things. What could the potential hazard be? And I think that's one of the key words when it comes to this is that word potential. Is there a potential for something to go wrong? 
Yeah, it also breaks it down even a lot simpler than that uh, as far as when I explain it. I'm good housekeeping. You know, on the job sites, good housekeeping. Are there slip, trip, fall hazards? Or is there something that is going to cause injury? It's, it, that competent person is, is now taking a leadership role of being able to identify things and saying, hey, you know, we need to pick that ladder up or we need to move that, that shovel or, or don't put that equipment there and so we can prevent those hazards. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have pictures all over our training platforms about different things that are good, bad, and we get a lot of chuckles and things of that nature. And, and people kind of look at, you know, people using two-by-fours and, and two-by-eights as, as uh, timber shoring, which really isn't accurate. Uh, I love that picture in that very first one when we talk about surface encumbrances. We can show those types of things all the time when it comes to trenches and excavations. But really, at the end of the day, where I struggle with a lot of this is – is talking about the competent person around confined spaces. That's one where it kind of, it's a little bit more muddled, I think. It, it's not exactly, or maybe at least in my mind, it doesn't seem to be 100% clear and spelled out in the, in the confined spaces in construction standard. Uh, Eric, you probably, you have a little bit of perspective on this. Maybe you can kind of, kind of tune into that a little bit more detail. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to the confined space standard, it has the generic definition, which is what we just discussed, you know, it's things that are unsanitary, hazardous, dangerous to employees. So, again, with that person, whether it be the attendant, whether it be the entry supervisor, somebody who's got a level of experience that can recognize, hey, wait a minute, this isn't right. You know, I, I, pretty much everybody should understand you drop the monitor in there and it goes off. You're not going to allow anybody to go in there. So you've mitigated whatever it is that's going wrong in there, our engulfment potential and things like that. Um, I think looking at it in those, those sets of eyes, it says somebody who's, who's got enough familiarity with the standard to be able to recognize that something's not right and it could be a hazard to that employee. Yeah, I, I also like to stress uh, that last sentence, you know, has the authority to take prompt corrective measures. Uh, when I teach the classes, you know, I've talked to OSHA about this several times. Uh, when it comes to that competent person, their idea of looking at it is, can you tell your boss what to do? And the is if you if you answer no, then you're not that competent person because you even if you're t talking to your boss, if you're deemed that competent person for the job site, you're the one that has to make those decisions. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've actually read uh, in in uh, an article in the past, and I forget which one it was to be honest. So uh, unfortunately, I can't give credit where credit is due. Um, but basically, if you have to, if you identify a hazard and you have to pick up the phone to ask somebody what whether you can take a particular action to mitigate those hazards, well, then you are not technically considered the competent person. And and I think that's, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. We have to make sure that they understand that they have to be given the authority to take that action. Yeah, and Rick, and, and piggybacking on that too, and I think this is where some of the disconnect comes into with the role of the competent person is, it is their responsibility. That particular job, whether it's confined space or excavation or whatever it is they're doing, to Jason's point is, that's their job. So regardless of anybody else's title, they've taken on that responsibility. So it's up to me, I can delegate tasks, I can ask somebody to go do something, but at the end of the day, the outcome of that task is on myself. 
So if I've asked somebody to go dewater something and it's draining into another trench where guys are working at, if an inspector were to come out, they're not going to go to the guy who did that. They're coming to me as that competent person and saying, why is that like that? And I think taking on that role takes on a whole new meaning when you look at it like that, that look, you're responsible. And to Jason's point, if you're, you know, your boss is telling you different, there needs to be a conversation if it's a confined space outside the space and discuss what's going on. One of the questions that I get all the time in class is, do we need to have a competent person on site at all times? I don't know if you guys have done any research on this. Quite honestly, I haven't really heard too much uh, one way or the other. I do know that there are three specific points where you are required to have a competent person on the job at all times. Um, but, but Eric, you had, you had some thoughts on that. I, well, just, yeah, I think there there's three points when it comes to excavation, what have you, where there's things, again, the competent person needs to be there. Um, I actually had a contractor, just a quick little story, uh, who was uh, doing, uh, uh, they had a job going, it was hotter than heck, they were starting to run out of water, everybody was busy, the competent person who was the foreman decided to literally drive around the corner to go get water. The guy said as he pulled out, a truck pulled in, asked where's the competent person, he went to go get some water, there was the first citation for not having a competent person on site. So, yeah, they do need to be there to oversee things. And, and you know, common sense would tell you, look, if you're deemed in that role, why would you want to be somewhere else, another at that job site to monitor it? And that's my point, too, is that, look, you can't go to Church's Chicken to pick up lunch. You can't go to, you know, the local home, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's or any of the home improvement stores to go and pick up materials to bring back to the job site. You are required to be there at all times. Um, and and that's 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 kind of how we answer it, right? Because it, it does specifically in when we're talking about trenches and excavations, we're talking about three key areas that a competent person is required to perform, right? They are required to, well, other than soil inspections, because they're you know the soil. Uh, the soil classifications, but also when you're conducting a general overall ins uh, inspection of the site. Also, when you have water accumulation uh, or you're using pumps to mitigate that water accumulation and you have, um, there's one more, and it's, oh, a hazardous atmosphere. If you have a hazardous atmosphere, a competent person needs to be there to monitor those activities at all times, especially when you're using gas monitors in trenches and excavations. And I think one more thing too, and I think we, we probably could hit this at the beginning a little bit more, but who tells somebody they're a competent person? And this is a little disconnect also. Um, I, you know, the employer is the only one who has that authority to deem somebody as a competent person. So us as trainers will hand out a card that says they've attended the training, that's great. That's just one component of it. The ocean inspector comes out, sees that card. That's great. But now based on experience and knowledge of the subject matters to what they're dealing with, you know, and has that company deem them as that competent person. Um, I see a lot of disconnect when it comes to this in the field where crews will get brought on. They'll bring in new guys, a lead guy who'd been around for a while, now gets bumped to foreman, and now based off that title of foreman, he's automatically called a competent person. Is he really? And odds are probably not. He's going to need some additional training. And I guess the question comes up, you know, when we say the employer, that's a very general term, right? We say the employer gives response, you know, is, is the one who identifies a competent person for their particular organization. But who within the employer has the authorization to give the authorization to the people to be the competent person? 
Um, yeah, it, it's usually defined typically by one of the upper uh, upper management, things like that. I, usually, depending upon the size of the company, if it's a safety person, they'll be the one who would deem somebody as that competent person. I have had customers, though, that it, it's a title. If you're a foreman, you're automatically considered a competent person and not a lot yeah. of additional uh, fact-finding, if you will, uh, on that person. You know, ask them questions related to what the subject matter is um, because I, that's what an inspector is going to do at the end of the day. They're going to come out and challenge them and ask them, what soil type are you in? What, how, how, what does your monitor pull in? You know, if you're doing, uh, how fast is your monitor going to pull in? What is it you're sniffing for? Things like that. If they can't answer the basic questions, I, they may deem that training is to be insufficient and they're going to get dinged for not having a competent person on site. That role is that person in that role is just such a key key person as far as the OSHA standards. I mean, you know, if if um, if you don't have someone identified as a competent person on your job site, uh, you really might be putting yourselves at risk. Well, and people have to realize that the three characteristics or the three things that have to be put in place to be that competent person is training, experience, and then authority and and. A lot of times the employer will skip the other two and just think that they have the authority to deem someone as the competent person, but they have to really look at those two other two aspects and, and make sure that those checks are in those blocks also. Yeah, and one of the and one of the things too is that you know they think that just because they were sent to a you know a four hour or six hour confined space or excuse me competent person class uh, for trenches and excavations that 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 automatically quote unquote certifies them as a competent person. And, and that's 100 percent true. That that that's the uh, one of the big misnomers with this is is people will go. They just think that they sit in this class and they walk out and now all of a sudden they're a competent person. And that could be farther from the truth. There's a lot there more that goes on. And anybody who's actually had an audit or had an inspection will tell you the questions that come up get fairly in depth. Tab data being a big one when it comes to excavation, knowing what's actually on there. Uh, not waiting until the ocean inspector standing over your shoulder asking you questions, but actually looking at it ahead of time and understanding what your role is in that. I'm thinking about the federal register saying that it is, you know, you have to have specific knowledgeable and be knowledgeable about soil analysis, the use of protective systems and the information found in the standard. I mean, that's that's training and experience and authority all wrapped up into one. And not only that, not one there is not one single competent person class out there that is going to cover all of the different scenarios where a competent person is going to have to be found. You are going to have to have specific training and knowledge about the particular standard and the particular environment that you're actually working under in order to be considered that competent person. Um, and you have to be able to, you know, be able to uh, demonstrate that knowledge. Yeah, and it, it's not a one-off. To your point, it's not just sitting through a class for five or six hours and then walking out saying that's it. Anytime we get new equipment, it's my responsibility to understand how that equipment's used. And when you look at tab data especially, it says on there specifically, these are guidelines for the competent person to use at, you know, as they go through. So yes, it may tell you on in B soil, you can go every eight foot on center. Well, maybe I got to back that to every four due to other circumstances. And that's where that competent person needs to understand that stuff. Yeah, and that's why I also reiterate, I mean, it's about knowing where to find this information. We don't expect you to, you know, know the standard verbatim, you know, what policy and what number something is, but if you're at least able to understand how to look through those standards and find the information that you're looking for, 
um, that's that's a big help right there. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. You know, people working or going through our classes are not going to memorize every single thing that comes out of our hole right that day. It's just, it's just not going to happen. There is so much information there that they really can find that it's that it, you know that is beyond you know that that we're giving them that is just you know incapable of their brains to to just you know absorb all of that at once. Um, Eric, you've you've got the best line. Uh, when you're talking about your confined space classes, and you basically tell people, yeah, if you if you <laughs> if you walk out of here knowing what three things make something a confined space, if you know what three types of confined spaces there are, and if you know that if it's a confined space, you utilize that gas monitor every time. To me, that's a win. This stuff all sandwiched in between that, that's going to help you through, you know, different challenging circumstances. But at the end of the day, if you know that stuff, that's going to eliminate a huge amount of any issues that you might confront uh, during your job. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for, for participating in this. Look, at the end of the day, this is what this discussion is going to be. And and you know and we hope to do this on a regular basis so we hope you found this discussion useful in our everyday lives out on the job site or at work we will be having these discussions on a regular basis and routinely making them available to you so that you can listen in now should you have any questions about this topic or have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear on this podcast feel free to email us at the address group on our homepage for this podcast this was behind the standards with united rentals and on behalf of jason eric and myself. Thanks for listening in, and we'll catch you next time. Have a safe day. Stay safe.